Well, I tell you, the music has just been wonderful this morning, and I couldn't help but think as you were passing by here of the blessings God's going to bestow upon you because you're faithful. I just thought blessing, 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 blessing. I mean, if we believe the word, that's exactly what's going to happen, individually and collectively. So I think it'd be appropriate for us to pray right now and ask God's special blessing on the remainder of the service because he's already blessed us really, really good. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have felt in the opening portion of this service. Lord, as we have demonstrated, actually acted out the act of giving, as we have taken that which we understand to be your will and we have We've had that to to germinate in our heart, and now it's coming to fruition in our gifts. So I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I thank you for the fact that they put their hand to the plow. And while they are not looking back, they remember back. And they remember how you have led them and how you have blessed them. And now we're on the verge of setting a new standard of obedience to you. So bless now the remainder of the service. Bring understanding where the preacher is inept. Dear Spirit of God, speak to us that you might use us for your kingdom's work. For we ask it in Christ's name. And all God's people said amen. Second Chronicles chapter 24. One of the things I have found in my ministry life is A lot of churches use the chest of Joash uh, as a memorial, as a remembrance with regard to their giving. But there are very few sermons on the chest of Joash. It's almost like we just do it in separate from what the Bible has to say. We we just kind of do it and go on. Well, this morning I want to somehow bridge the gap, if there is a gap, between what we have seen, what we have depicted, and what God's Word instructs and tells us. And in, this, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we find some interesting reading. In verse 1, it says, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. He's a boy king. Now, we don't have time this morning to rehearse what was going on with those seven years, but class, can I make an assignment to you? Here's your assignment. Go back and do a little study as to where Joash had been for those seven years. It's most, most interesting. Well, I'll, I'll give you a hint. He's been in his bedroom. He's been hiding for seven years because somebody not only wants to kill his family, they want to kill him. And God protected him for seven years years and also in doing that he was protecting the line that would lead right up to the Lord Jesus Christ do a little study on that I I don't have time this morning to rehash it but you'll be surprised at who his friends were you'll be surprised at who his enemies were it's it's a fascinating fascinating story 
Seven years old, he becomes king, and he reigns for 40 years. That's pretty good, I would think, 40 years. And during that time, the Bible says in uh, chapter 24, verse 2, that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then down in verse 4, it says that he was minded to repair the house of the Lord. So he was a good king, at least at the beginning. At least at the beginning of his reign, he was honoring God and he was honoring the temple. He was doing his part to repair the temple. Now, again, I don't have time this morning, but the end of the story is not very good. Uh, the end of the story is he turns and, and he ends in a, a, a terrible situation and, and his final days are desperate and tragic. But at this particular time, he's honoring God. At this particular time, he's rejoicing over what God's doing. And the Bible says he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. There are several things here in this passage that to me form a pattern. Now, understand this about God. God is the complete other. He's the antithesis of anything you know. God is God. There's no comparison to God. One of the problems you have as a preacher, as a teacher, and you know this, those of you who do both, is trying to take earthly words and compare and contrast the person of God, trying to make him understandable in our words so that the Holy Spirit can take those words and freight a message home to our heart. And so because of that, God does things decently in order. There are certain patterns there's certain methodology. There's certain things that seem to follow how God deals with us. Now, it's not for his benefit. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. He has chosen to use us. And because we are who we are, God uses certain patterns and certain certain methodology and certain things for us to understand how to do his will. And here I believe in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 is a pattern for how we're to do what we're doing in continuing our legacy and expanding the ministry of this church and building a whole new campus. And so out of this passage, I want to draw some things that I think will help us to see that that which we're doing is correct that which we're doing is biblical, and that which we're doing will be blessed of God, period. Because God is a God who honors what he has said to do. So number one, I see in this passage that this was universal. Look, if you will, beginning in verse 8. And the king's commandment, they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. Now the gate at the house of the Lord is the south gate. The south gate is right on the right side of the altar. And in theology, always be on the right. Amen. Don't be on the left, be on the right. Amen. I just slid that in there. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? There is a left and there is a right, and the right is right. Okay, verse 9. And they made a proclamation through Judah 
and Jerusalem to bring in to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of the Lord, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. That's King James language means until it was full. It's universal. Notice the passage says all the princes and all the people. That's everybody. That's the up and out and the down and out. That's the big shot and the little shot. That's everybody. Everybody was involved. Everybody was to participate. Those of you who were at the banquet or the luncheon last Sunday will remember Dr. Welch. And Dr. Welch in that wonderful video that he did for us said, it's not equal gifts but equal sacrifice. That's the key. You see, a rich man may give a large amount of money, and it's a tip. It's just a tip. It's play money. But somebody of moderate income or even low income might give an amount that we would say is not much, but it may be all they have. So it's not a matter of how much you give. It's a matter of the sacrifice within the giving. Listen, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. He sacrificed for you. And then you go tip him? Really? Are you, are you happy with that? Does that bring joy to your heart? I don't think so. So everybody was, was to be involved, and everybody gave. And folks, listen, giving is not so much about how much you have in your bank account, but who you have in your heart. That's the key. It's not how much, it's how much. It's not seeing what I can give to impress you. It's giving what I need to give because he knows my attitude in the giving. He knows what I can do, and he knows what I do when I stretch myself. What did they bring in? Verse 5 tells us it was money. The, the word there is the word kisep. Guess what it means? Money. <laughs> it means silver. The folks, when they sacrificed, didn't bring in a can of hominy that had been behind the, 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 in the storage unit for four years, and they bring it to give to the Lord. They gave of their best. They gave silver. They gave money. And I know as a Baptist preacher, there are some folks, probably not in this congregation, but in most that I've been in, that say, there he goes. That's all they talk about is money. Well, no, sir, that's not all we talk about. But we have no problem talking about money because it is needed in ministry. We have bills. We are building a building, and it takes money. It takes wealth. It takes dollars. In fact, I like those quiet offerings when those bills float in, not the change. You know, I, I just want it quiet, reverent, and the bills. Give of your best to the master because he has given of his best to us. 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 4 says there are three sources of revenue. There was a census, kind of like a tax, 
There was personal vows when people would make vows of different types they would give. And then there was voluntary payments. Now, all of these were according to the Mosaic law, as we read here in the passage. This is what the Lord had instructed Moses, and Moses had instructed the people. And so they were honoring the word, so to speak. They were honoring the word as they understood it at that time that had been given through Moses to the people. But it was a law. It was a part of the Mosaic law. You and I are not under the law. We're under grace. Now listen to me, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings. Well, I really don't care. If it's true, it's true. Any Christian who would do less under grace than a Jew would do under law is a disgrace to grace. Amen. Amen. They were supposed to give because it was the law. We don't have to give. You ought to want to give. It ought to be an expression of gratitude for what God has done for you. You say, well, God hadn't done much for me. Well, you're sitting straight up and taking a breath, sweet friend. God's given you a lot. God's given you a lot. And most of us in this room are rich compared to the rest of the people who live on this planet. We'll decide which restaurant we go to at lunch. Well, we may go here, may go there, may go here. I mean, you know, honey, what do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. And some people on the rest of the planet have had nothing and will have nothing. We're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. It was universal. Everyone gave, and they gave because they wanted to. But not only was it universal, it was cheerful. Verse 10 says, And all the people rejoiced when they gave. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I know you folks know that verse very, very well. It says God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful is literally, it's hilarious. It's where we literally get the word hilarious. It's literally a transliteration of the word. And let me tell you something that's very interesting in my study this week. I never found this out until this week. It's the only place in Scripture where that word is found. God says when you give with a right heart, it ought to be hilarious. I may have told this story here before, but it's such a good story, and I'm getting so old I don't know. So just humor me, okay? I preached at a church down in Brandon several years ago, Bell Shoals Baptist Church, very fine church. And they had three morning worship services. So I got there, and the executive pastor was ushering me around. They did not have a pastor at the time. And he said, Brother Glenn, we'll have the first service. You'll go in, and then you come out, and we'll get you a drink of water. And then the second service, and then the third service. And, and they were duplicates. There was not a different type of service. It was just because of space. They've since built a beautiful new auditorium. In fact, we had our state convention there uh, earlier in the week. And so I was sitting with Susan and the executive pastor on the front row waiting my turn. And he got up, and he was conducting the service and all, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our offering. When he did, the church stood up and applauded, shouting. It scared me to death. 
I didn't know what was happening. I'm sitting there getting ready to go. I'm looking over my notes, and all of a sudden the people are standing up, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, they're coming after the guest preacher this morning. I, I didn't know. And they did that in all three services. Now, after the first service, I kind of caught on what was going on and all, and, and uh, I don't know if they still do that in that church or not, but I thought, what a testimony. It's time for the offering. Yes! Wow! <laughs> I mean, just... Hey, when your new pastor comes, <laughs> the first Sunday, Les or Lowell or somebody says, it's time for the offering, it'll scare him to death. <laughs> now, don't do it during the call, the sermon on the call. He may not come. But do it the first Sunday he's here. I'm being a little funny with you. But it ought, listen, folks. Giving ought to not be a problem if we give out of a heart that's overflowing with love and appreciation for our Lord and for what he's done. It ought to be a natural response. It ought to be not something that we do begrudgingly. It ought to be something that we do, and we do because we love him. In fact, I think sometimes we do disservice with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, because we don't read the verse before and after. Let me read the whole verse, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a hilarious giver. Now listen to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's what I was sensing a moment ago when you were coming by here. L listen, folks, God's going to bless this church and we're going to build the building. That's going to happen. That's going to be obvious. In a few weeks, we're going to see dirt move and walls go up. That's going to happen. Don't make me lean. But you know what's not going to be as obvious? is the blessings to you. About six months from now, you ought to have just a testimonial time of what God is doing in and through your life, your family, your business, what God is doing for you. Because the Bible says he can do all things and all sufficiency and all grace because we give of a hilarious heart. It was universal. It was cheerful. But it was generous. It was generous. You know, several years ago, I did a wedding in Texas. And this is back when I was on staff of the church in Texas. And we had a beautiful center aisle chapel. And because of that, we had a lot of weddings in that chapel. And uh, we had a rule that only the ministers of that church could conduct weddings. And there's reasons for that, especially nowadays. We were ahead of the curve back then. And so there was a young couple. I'd counseled them and had met with them several occasions, and I was going to conduct their wedding. Now, the wedding was not a big deal. It was very modest, uh, just 
looking at them and talking with them, they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot of blessing, material blessings. And so I conducted the service, and after the service, the, the young man handed me an envelope with my name on it. And I thought, well, that's some money in there. He's given me a, a love offering for doing the service. And, uh, and, and I thought, so I took my pen and marked out my name and wrote their name and handed it back to him. And I said, this is my wedding present to you. And the young man, I mean, he, I can still see his face. He just thought, really? You know? And I said, yeah. I said, this, this, this is my wedding gift to you. And he turned around and started to walk off. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I said, this is a teachable moment. Let me, I said, let me, let me tell you something that I hope you'll never forget. And he said, what's that? He said, if you, I said to him, if you'd have given me more, you'd have gotten more. Amen? If you give more, you'll get more. Malachi says he'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing. There's not room enough for you to receive it. If you give, you'll get. Now, it's not prosperity theology. That's the Bible. But if you give in order to get, you won't. You give because of your love, and God rewards you. <laughs> Dog. You know, Lord, sometimes I think these folks are not listening to me. I, I stand up here and say these things, and God's going to bless. He's going to bless you. All right, let's take an offering. We'll see if you really mean it. It was universal. It was cheerful. It was generous, but it was also consistent. Verse 11 says that they emptied the chest and carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. Twice there he talks about the much money and the abundance. But he also talks about this as a repetitious thing. What this tells me is this is not an emotional decision. And oh, my soul, we have tried as best we can to urge you don't make an emotional decision alone. Because a, a decision like that's easily made and it's soon forgotten. The decision ought to be of love, yes, but it ought to be what God has spoken to you about. This ought to be an intimate transaction with you and God, not you and the church. We're the middleman. We're the, we're the, 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 we, we simply collect it. But there ought, to be, there ought to be a sense that this is what God wants me to do. And when I'm gone or your new preacher comes or when the buildings they start the third building, you're going to still be doing what you're supposed to be doing because it had nothing to do with emotion other than it had to do with love for Christ and his response to what he has done in your life. Consistent. It appears to me they emptied the chest and came back again and emptied it and came back again. Now, we've taken it out to begin the counting process and divide everything up and see what's what. But, you know, Doug, we might just want to get it and put it down here and come back through again. I mean, we we got time. I mean, you know, we... No, we're not going to do that. But what we're going to do is when you start in a few weeks with your giving, I hope it's consistent. I hope there's an initial gift, but I hope the gift is a consistent gift because God has told you what 
to give. Well, it's universal, it's cheerful, it's generous, and it's consistent. Do you remember when we were in Nehemiah several weeks ago? In the second chapter of Nehemiah, we run into three characters who are three demon-possessed kings who give Nehemiah and gave Ezra and Nehemiah all sorts of fits. We find them in the 19th verse of the second chapter of Nehemiah. Let me read it to you. You don't have to turn to it. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, this is they were rebuilding the wall, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? If you remember, first of all, they tried to use some political pressure to say that what they were doing was rebelling against the king. And then they moved to out and out physical intimidation and opposition. But this is their first shot at it. They're saying, yeah, what are you doing against the king? You're going to rebuild the walls. What are you doing against the king? Now, Nehemiah was not some panty waste. Nehemiah was very much a man's man. He's standing there before three kings. And listen to what he says, verse 20. Then answered I them and said, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. Pause for applause. You have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. But ye, you three men, have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, it is forever written down in heaven. You three men missed it. You missed it. Big time. Not only did you miss it, you opposed it. It is forever written down. You missed it. Don't miss this. Don't miss what's happening. I've preached in over 800 churches in my ministry so far. And I have been in places that will break your heart. The word church is over the door, but I see no evidence of it. It's sad. It's dead. It's dreary. There's no spark of life. There's no energy. They're just occupying time and space until they all die and then they sell the property. It's so sad. It breaks your heart to go to. And I'm going to tell you, it's church after church after church. 70% of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are plateaued or declining churches. 70%. Most people as Southern Baptists will live their entire life and never be a part of a great movement of God. Don't miss it. 
don't miss what God's doing here. You are a blessed people because it's going to be forever written down that there was a group of people called First Baptist Church, Daytona Beach, that shook a state for Christ. Shook one of the, one of the most populous areas, Central Florida, for Christ. Got a toehold in one of the fastest growing areas in the country. And continued a legacy of literally going around the world with the gospel because of who you are, Southern Baptist. <laughs> when I stop and think of what God is doing and what he's getting ready to really do, it makes me want to shout. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Brother Owens, you ought not get so excited. You need revival, friend. You need revival. If you don't see the hand of God in this, you either need to get saved or revived. Amen. I'm glad I said it. Amen. In the next few weeks, we're going to see God's handiwork through your lives and your commitment as numbers are going to be announced that will stagger us. And in a few weeks, we're going to see a big machine, as Les said, dig up some dirt. And in a few more weeks, we're going to see a foundation. Then we're going to see walls go up. And it's not going to be long before God's people are back together, kind of like we were last week for lunch, back together. Wasn't that exciting? We truly are one church. But more importantly than that, we're his church. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've been about this business for a while now. That doesn't surprise you. You knew in eternity past when we were going to do it and what we were going to do it and how we were going to do it. I thank you for the faithfulness of these people, for their steadfastness to stay by the stuff, not to give in or give up or back up, let up, or shut up. So, Lord, I pray that in these coming days you will just continue to guide us. May we continue to seek your will, not our way. And, Lord, may you continue to bless us as we're a blessing to others in your name. I pray the commitments that are made will, will be sufficient to do the work. But Lord, I also thank you for what you're going to do through those folks who have made commitments and the blessings that will come because of Christ. I pray now for anybody who's here who's never received Christ as Savior and Lord of life. Lord, help them to understand their sins were paid for at Calvary. And it's a free gift of salvation. It's free to us. It cost you your son. But it's free to us if we will but receive it. That's an act of our will to say, yes, I need it. I'm a sinner. And I want forgiveness through Christ. 
so I can be brought in a right relationship with a holy God. We do that by faith. We do that when we exercise our will and our will bends to your direction and to your word. There's somebody here this morning that needs to trust Christ. I pray this would be the day. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to rededicate their life. They're good church members, but just the love affair with Jesus Christ has grown cold and stale. It's almost perfunctory. We just go through the motions. Maybe this morning your spirit has stirred us with a new beginning, a new point of commitment. Oh, we're going to go to heaven, but we're not counting for you while we're still here. Maybe some need to come and not even talk with anybody, but just kneel at this altar and make a new commitment to you that from this day forward, from now and forever, I'm going to be the person you want me to be because of what you have showered me with and blessings through Christ. Maybe there are those who need to join our church by letter, statement, or any other way she would receive members. What a glorious time to join this church on the cusp of a whole new adventure with God by faith. So, Lord, we stand amazed at what you do in our lives, and we're going to stand amazed at what you do in this invitation because of Christ. For I ask it in his holy, precious an infinitely good name. Amen.